Inside Books with Breda Brown. Welcome to Inside Books, a programme about the magical world of writing. I'm Breda Brown and in each episode of Inside Books we chat to people associated with the world of books, including well-known authors, publishers, editors, agents, critics, booksellers and more. My guest today is the journalist Susan Keogh. She has worked in Irish media for over 16 years and you'll most likely know her name from News Talk, where she presents News Talk Breakfast at the weekends. Susan has recently worked with Martina Cox to write a memoir called With Hope in Your Heart, which tells the story of Sean Cox, Martina's husband who suffered a severe brain injury as a result of a vicious, unprovoked attack when he was on his way to Anfield to watch a Liverpool game. The book outlines what life has been like for the Cox family ever since the incident occurred over two years ago. And Susan, I suppose, firstly, what I'd like to know is it's your first book. So I'm interested in how the opportunity actually came about to write it. Yeah, it's kind of a funny story, I guess, because, um, you know, when uh, when Sean was attacked back in April 2018, I worked in the newsroom at the time. So the story just always stayed with me because I just remember the morning really well when we got that news. And like anybody, you know, who's ever worked in news or even for people who don't, you know, the way those stories come about is often just it can be a rumor at the beginning or it can be a phone call but when somebody is injured or dies abroad it's really hard to get your detail together because when something really unfortunate happens in Ireland normally you just dispatch a reporter to the scene and before long you can start to piece together what happened but in this instance we had got word that an Irish man had been injured outside Liverpool outside Anfield but we couldn't really get any more details so I just the story just really struck a chord with me from the gecko and it stayed with me and you know we would have seen little bits of Martina as the kind of year went on she did an interview on the late late we had got updates in terms of how Sean was he was obviously very very sick for a couple of weeks in Liverpool before he was transferred home and somewhere in the back of my head I always thought her story would make a really really good book but I'd never written a book before like it's not my thing or whatever I'd never really any desire to write a book really um so I kind of got it into my head that if I didn't do it, somebody else would do it, you know? So I I just said, I'm just going to have to run with this because I know I'll be flicking through book catalogues one year. It'll come in on an email and I'll see, oh, Martina Cox wrote a book. And I just felt like I kind of had a connection with that story. So I got her email address and I just dropped her an email and I said, listen, uh, you know, for all these reasons, I feel your story would be a really valuable one. Um, could we meet up and chat about it? And she was actually living in Sheffield at the time because Sean was having really intensive brain therapy in a rehab centre over in Sheffield. So she came back and said, I'd be happy to meet up, but, you know, I'm, I'm in Sheffield until Christmas time or whatever. So I just said I'd go to her um, to try and have that initial conversation. I'd never met her before or anything like that. So I went to Sheffield and we sat down and we just clicked straight away is the only way. I don't really know why, but we did. We just kind of got on. Um, she was interested in doing the book, but with a number of caveats. Um, you know, like she really didn't want it to be a book about football, like hooliganism or for it to be like a really sensationalized story. Yet at the same time, she acknowledged that she did have there was a lot of value in her story because she had been on a really incredible journey over the previous sort of year and a half. So we left it that day and then I didn't know where I'd go like with this or whatever. So I asked a friend of mine, um, Gavin Riley, just because he, you know, Gavin and he knows everything. So I just said to him, you know, if I wanted to pitch an idea to a publisher, 
you know, where would I go? And at the time he knew a guy who worked with Gil. He no longer works there. He's moved on. But he just said, look, I know um, Conor Nagel. He works for Gil. You know, you could drop him a line. So that was literally what I did. And I um, text Conor asked him to meet me we met for a coffee and I told him that I wanted to write this story and he felt that Gil would be really interested in it so he went away and obviously then all of that progressed on that side of things with the publisher so that was really how it happened. And did it take long for the publisher to sort of say yes and let's go with it? Um, not really like the initial um, kind of contact with the publisher would have been in November of last year so all of this happened really really quickly I visited Martina in November of last year the publisher uh, expressed an initial interest in it in November of last year and then it sort of it, it, oh, which then there was Christmas and as you know nothing happens around Christmas so it was picked up then again in January where it was like okay I'm still interested in doing it Martina's still interested in doing it the publisher is interested in doing it so different talks were happening then between myself and the publisher and Martina and the publisher and then we finally got the green light to go ahead with it literally just before the first lockdown happened so like we the, my very first call with Martina about the book was the 13th of April of 2020 so like lockdown the, the full lockdown happened on the 27th of March so we got the go ahead go ahead to do it in March uh, they really wanted it out for this Christmas so like it was just such a short turnaround like you know, we started writing it in April and my deadline was June. So like it was done really, really, really quickly, like um, just because of between Christmas and the fact that Martina had been living in Sheffield and we needed her to come home first, you know, and she to sort out their house and stuff. So between one thing and another, we just didn't get into it until the beginning of April. And then like it's obviously out since October. So normally that would happen the previous year, I think. So normally what would have happened would have been we would have started writing the book in late 2019 so we would have started writing it kind of in september october november of 2019 to have a book out in christmas of 2020 so normally i think there's a year lead in whereas we didn't have that year we had sort of half of that and in another way it was probably better you didn't have a long lead in that you could just get in and get it done because as you said before you hadn't written a book before had you Mm. actually written much long form previously at all None, like right. none at all. Like I'd written the odd article, like I'd often pitch an idea to the Sunday Independent or, you know, if there's something that's kind of um, in my head, like I have pitched different pieces and I've had the odd few of them published but no like I've never written anything longer than probably like 2,000 words is probably the longest thing I'd written so like setting into 85,000 words was like a really daunting but I just kind of took it step by step and like I really didn't know if if I was going to be able to do it like I, I genuinely didn't you know like I'd write a chapter and I'd I'd wonder is this does this hit the spot but I think with a book like Martinez it was all about it was really the, the the litmus test in it was that Martina would open up to me about certain things and that we would have a really frank conversation. So its success was more based on my ability to do that than really how it was written. It was all about getting the detail and, and getting Martina to a place where she felt that she could open up about certain aspects of it. And did that take long to happen? Because as you said, you were talking to each other over Zoom. It wasn't even sort of face to face. So it was harder to try and build a rapport. Yeah, like I was really disappointed when lockdown happened and I realised that I wasn't going to be able to do all of this face to face because I knew 
Martina found this a really obviously painful story to go through and I'd seen her been interviewed before and it was really obvious how uncomfortable she was in that setting. So in my head, I envisaged it that we would break it down and I'd go to her in Dunboyne and we'd spend time together and we'd have, you know, numerous cups of tea and, and over that different pieces would come out. So so when I realised that that was not going to be a possibility, I was really disappointed at first, in, so much so that I, I would have said to Gil, like, you know, I don't know if this is going to work. Like, I wonder, should this be something we do next year? Because I don't know if this is going to work this year. Um, but we kind of approached it that we would just see how we'd get on. So we arranged our first Zoom call. And like that, it just, it, it, in, in hindsight, it was actually better for us because what it meant was, was that we actually spoke every night. Whereas obviously if I was driving the roads from Kildare to Dunboyne, we would have had to break that down. And we probably would have maybe um, put in the diary, maybe one or two meetings a week. And then if I was to arrive to her, how long can you stay? You know, at some point she was gonna say, all right, come on, we need to leave. So we actually, I'd say, like double or trebled the, our amount of time talking because we were doing it on Zoom. So obviously it was the first lockdown. Martina wasn't back in work yet. And I was working from home except for a Saturday and Sunday. So basically we scheduled a call for eight o'clock every night. So we'd do whatever we were doing during the day. And then once it got to eight o'clock, like obviously my daughter wasn't in school or anything. So I had the whole day with her and getting my work done. And then I would just go to the office at eight o'clock and we would just get on the Zoom call and we'd be on the call till 10 o'clock probably. And then I'd write, so I'd come off the call and I always wrote it straight afterwards because I just felt it was all really fresh in my mind then. So I just wrote at night in, in the, the wee hours. Like, so I kind of just, I would stay up till three or four and just write at nighttime. Like, and luckily my husband, because they, our daughter was off school, he was kind of trying to catch up on a lot of his work at night time as well. So it just meant we were on this really, really, really strange uh, schedule where like it wasn't unusual to boil a kettle at 2 a.m. Like, you know, when your schedule just totally flips on its head. For that so cup like, of tea or the coffee. Exactly. Yeah. Like he'd come into the kitchen and be flicking like you, you don't normally hear your kettle going on at 2 a.m. But it was like we were just living in a different time zone completely. Like we had whatever we needed to do during the day, but we were both working really hard at night time. And it was just really strange. Like, but that's how that's how we got it done but yeah we we clicked straight away on zoom martina was very comfortable in that setting probably even more comfortable than if we had been sitting face to face you know at certain times she really opened up like and i think that was what that that's where the the value is in the book is that she did really open up and what about getting to know the rest of the family and sean himself obviously yeah, well, like I didn't get to meet Sean until we got to when the when the first lockdown was lifted, when the restrictions. So I didn't meet Sean until it was uh, July, I think I went to see him. So it was it, like we were we had the book done at that point um, because it just wasn't possible for me to go. Obviously, Sean spent a lot of time on a ventilator when he was in a coma. So he would be particularly vulnerable, like his lungs wouldn't be as good as they used to be. So there was no way I was ever going to kind of call to the house until I could. Um, the three children then, Jack, Shauna and Emma, you know, I would have said to Martina from the get-go that if at some point I could speak to them, it would be great. But I did. I kind of wanted to get most of the work done with Martina first. But then I kind of really wanted to speak to Jack, Shauna and Emma because I kind of wanted to cross-reference different things because sometimes your memory of something is very different to the memory that someone else would have. And they were such a huge part of this journey. Like they were with Martina every step of the way. So when Martina would describe to me 
what it was like in the house to get the phone call that Sean had been hurt. Her memory of that I knew was going to be in a way a little bit different to probably the other three who were also in the house because in those moments of mad panic um, you remember different parts of it and I knew there would be things that the kids would remember that Martina probably hadn't. Likewise, seeing Sean in, in the coma for the very first time in intensive care, I knew Martina's memory of that would be sort of different to the kids. So I had said it to her at the very beginning that I'd love to speak to them, but I said, let's just leave that until we get a lot of our work done. Um, so then after a couple of weeks, I said to her, look, <clears throat> you know, just mention it to them. It's no problem if they don't want to. They would be three, like, re they're like Martina, like extremely private, um, you know, really kind of struggle with the fact that their very, very normal family unit became a name that is recognisable. So like, you know, standing, you know, in the middle of Croke Park at some of the big matches, you know, shaking hands with Michael D. Higgins, like all of that, you know, it doesn't really sit well with them. Like Shauna tells a story, the oldest girl about uh, been on a beach in Thailand uh, when she went traveling one of the years a planned trip and some guy on a beach said to her are you Sean Cox's daughter you know so like just that that really kind of they don't like any sort of limelight so if they didn't want to speak to me I was like that's absolutely fine but I think then because my because myself and Martina ended up getting so close and spending so much time on the phone I think I nearly just became part of the furniture in their house where Martina was like I'm on to Susan like you know or whatever and then we'd be on zoom and they'd come in and out with the background looking for tea and coffee and looking for a lift somewhere or whatever so after a couple of weeks I said to her look just ask them will they do it and luckily all three of them said they would so I did a lot of calls with the three of them as well which was great because it added hugely to the story. Like it really added to, you know, Sean as a father, like what they really miss about him, like what he was like before the attack, the difference now, um, you know, and painted a really good picture of having him at home and, you know, how he's such still a massive part of the family. So their testimony, I think, adds a whole other layer to the book. So I was really glad that I got to speak to them. And it just gave you, as you said, a better insight into the family and just how they operated as as a family. Mm. And interestingly, had you read many memoir books yourself previously? Like, not anything. Like, I read Vicky Phelan's book, actually. I read that uh, just before I... Was it just before we kind of had decided to do that? I had read it. I know Naomi. Um, I used to work with her in News Talk. Naomi, who ghost wrote that book with Vicky. So I read that book. Um, and yeah, I, I mean, I, I, I kind of read really sporadically. I'm kind of one of these people that generally I read when I'm on holiday. I read a lot of books during lockdown because I just felt I needed to because when I would write so late into the night or spend a lot of time on the phone with Martina, I felt then that when I'd go to bed, I would be trying to write the book in my head. So I actually read some pretty random books during lockdown just to actually switch off like books that had been on my list that I had never gotten to. So, but no, I have, it's not like I'd read loads of memoirs or I had an idea in my head of what I wanted it to be like. I just wanted it to sound like Martina and I just wanted it to be the exact story that happened. So a really kind of true account of exactly what it had been like, as opposed to 
you know any bells and whistles it doesn't need that the story is pretty incredible you know and did you get any advice then from others who've written similar books or did you just literally go go with the flow I didn't I just (laughs) felt like I was like just do it like there were people who I could have talked to like I could have talked to Matt Cooper who would be a close friend of mine and I know he's ghostwritten and written books with the likes of Jamie he's slipping different people and I absolutely could have gone to Matt for advice and I know he would have been really really generous with it but I almost found that I was just in this situation where I was like something inside me told me I could do it and I just felt that if I asked for too many different opinions or advice that um it would just throw me off track so I just went for it like I went I just totally went for it like I knew if I spoke to Matt he would tell me um you know don't overdo the talking like because that is seemingly one of the rules if you're going to ghostwrite a book with somebody one of the rules is don't talk for endless endless hours because you almost um take on too much Mm. and that then it's really hard to kind of distill the information and write the book so i knew that someone would tell me that but i actually my instinct was that i needed to do the opposite of that my instinct was for this book to sound like martina when i would write a sentence i needed to speak to her so much that it was nearly like nearly like method acting that like i would end up writing it the way she'd say it and sometimes i would write a sentence and i'd read it to myself and i'd say martina would never say that she just wouldn't whatever words i might use or whatever way i would phrase something it just wasn't martina you know so um I didn't really ask for advice like obviously Gil were really really good and the people I was working with there were really helpful if I had any issues um which we didn't really have but no I pretty much just mowed on and wrote it and then bizarrely really bizarrely I didn't realize because I've never done this before I didn't realize that I was to send it to Martina as we were going along so um when we finished the book um, one of the people in Gill said to me, so, you know, send it back to me when everything is cleared with yourself and Martina. And I said, oh, do I send it to Martina now? And they were like, um, have you not been sending it to Martina all along? And I was like, no, I didn't know I had to do that. And they were like, oh, Jesus, like, you know. So they were like, okay, well, you need to get it to Martina and you need to get Martina to read it. So I was like, oh, right, okay. So it was a Friday. And I rang Martina and she was in work. She'd gone back to work at this stage. And I was like, what are you doing for the weekend? She was like, oh, nothing. Sure. What can we do? And I was like, good, because you're going to be reading your book. (laughs) And she was like, oh, really? And I was like, yeah, I need to send it to you. And you need to read it really quickly because Gil need um, a signed off version that me and Martina were happy with. What I had, what I originally had was just what I was happy with. Right. So she was like, all right. Okay. So I sent it to her on a Friday and it was the most nerve wracking. I was going to say, were you nervous? Because again, this is your interpretation of it. And, you know, if she had come back on Monday and said, Susan, I don't like it. Like completely. And like Martina, like Martina, and she, she wouldn't mind me saying this at all. Like she is really particular about things. Like she is you know a a really kind of like strong businesswoman like brilliant mother but like she's she's tough taskmaster like she's really really has a very particular idea about things and you know if if you don't subscribe to that like she'd have no problem telling you which (laughs) is a great way to be I love that about her so I sent it to her and I said 
listen, you cannot leave me hanging till Sunday night. Like you're going to have to keep me posted along the way or whatever. And like, I don't think I'll ever show anybody the messages, but like I have a stream of messages on my phone from across that whole weekend. That was just like the most incredible thing whereby like, so the first one was a picture like of the manuscript with like a glass of wine beside it. And she would be like, right, I'm going in or whatever. <laughs> and then like three hours later, I'd get a text and she'd be just like, oh my God, like this such a such a bit or whatever and then like four hours later she texts me and she's like I'm falling crying like you know and it was and she absolutely loved it and like just to get the kind of the every few hours to get an update from her and for me to be at home knowing that she was reading it like it was just such a mad experience like I'll never forget it because like you say she could have had it like she could there could have been a lot in it that she didn't absolutely because like. there have been scenarios before and we've heard them where ghostwriters and the individual they're writing about they've parted ways because it yeah. hasn't worked you know so exactly you were you were very lucky but also it's validation there for you you obviously got to know her quite well and the family quite well that you were able to get it down on the page on, in the first go by following, as you said, your own instinct. Yeah, I like I wasn't oh, I my good instinct was telling me that she would like it, but I felt that because we'd become so close, I wondered at times in our conversations, did Martina sometimes forget that maybe she was on the record? Because obviously we we got on so well. So I I put every little piece of every nugget into the book. And then I wondered when Martina would read it all together, would she kind of pull back from some of it a little bit and think, oh, well, yeah, I did say that, but I didn't want it in the book, you know, because we we ended up having, it was like when you forget that you're on the record, like you forget that you're on the radio, you're so comfortable that you say something. And then my biggest fear was that, so there was nothing in the book that she'd never said, but literally everything she said went into the book. And then I felt that she might suddenly think, oh, too much. I don't know, this is, this is very exposing or whatever. So that was really my only fear. And then her daughter that weekend, like as she was finished pages of it, one of her daughters, Emma, uh, picked up different pages and started to read it. And Emma said to her, my God, this just sounds so like you. And like, that was when she sent me that message. Then I was like, well, if her daughter feels the book sounds like her mom who like, you know, she knows her better than anybody else. I was like, then it's com- it does completely sound like Martina and that's the job done as far as I was concerned, kind of. So it was really nerve wracking, but it, I'll never forget that weekend. That was probably the best weekend out of all of them because um, just so much work had gone into it way more work than I ever envisaged way more hours like you know I didn't know it was going to take me all of that time so to get kind of those messages that weekend just made it all worthwhile like genuinely it did and also made the call to Gail on Monday morning an awful lot easier when you were able to say actually she likes it it's fine and then when they got the manuscript were there many more edits or rewrites or anything that needed to be done few little bits and pieces like I didn't find the editing as hard as I know some people do Um, it was a little bit confusing sometimes because you know when you're working on a big document on your laptop that is 80,000 words and then if if, so, if the editor wants a chunk out of one chapter moved to the other I found like I was losing track like you know of, of just the body of text sometimes I found that a little bit annoying like but um, I always kind of had a hard copy 
uh, beside me as well and I'd make notes on the hard copy because then you know like the the editor would think like a chunk of one chapter should actually come in a different chapter and they were they were brilliant like they made some really um good observations like some of the things that I just wouldn't have picked up on um you know like I was jumping to tell something and they'd say you know you haven't built that story enough before yeah. you get to the punchline you need to give so things like that that obviously like I'd never done it before so like I like they had so many brilliant tips like if I was to ever do it again like I I learned so much from it um, and that was all down to the people that were I was working with on Gil but there wasn't a huge amount that needed um, to be changed it was it was relatively small stuff and on that as you said you went in blind obviously but if you were going back now to do it again or saying to somebody who was starting out on it like literally what would you do differently you see, I suppose to to decrease the workload slightly, because when like when I say it was the hours were huge, the, the key to that would be to, to to speak less to the person. But I really feel that the book, the book's success is based on like that, how many hours we were exposed to one another. So I'm not sure if I would do that. Like, I'm, I'm not sure if I would approach it again and say, OK, last time I definitely spent way too much time talking to Martina. I'm going to have to limit this down to whatever the equation of hours is. I think there is an equation out there that like if you speak to the person for this amount of time and you write for this amount of time, then equals a book. So I don't think I would do that because I felt like the book benefited. So I probably would go head in again and spend an awful lot of time, you know, talking to the person. But to be honest, I just don't even know if I would ever do it again. That's the truth. Because you see, I felt a real connection to this story genuinely and that is why it made it quite easy so when I was at my kitchen table putting on the kettle at 3 a.m I I was I was sort of weirdly enjoying it like and I was I really wanted to help Martina tell this story and I really saw the value in it and as I said to Martina because we got on so well it was very easy to um, have dinner and skip down to the office to ring her at eight o'clock but obviously you wouldn't have that same you'd have to have that working relationship with whoever you were working with you'd certainly have to like them and, and, and also the passion have, for the topic as you said exactly yeah exactly so I think it's all very specific so I'm not sure if the stars aligned for me in this one I'm not sure if that would happen again to be honest but like you know I'll keep my eyes open but like I don't know if a story would ever grab me in that way like because that's what it was based on really and what about fiction then no, like, I mean, I have no real, like, writing a book was never on my radar, really. It was purely just, it was because this story, I felt it, it was going to be of value to people. And if I didn't do it, someone else would do it. And that's really why, you know, uh, and I knew that Martina would only be able to work with certain people because I just knew that, you know, she had been approached to do the book more so from like a sporting point of view. Like she'd been, you know, there was lots of interest around Sean's story, but it always was around what had happened. It was always around the Liverpool response to it. Mm-hmm. I wanted to write this real female story about a woman who managed to keep her family running while also caring for her husband and still being a great mom to her three children she still works full time like I just found her to be such an incredible person so I just felt like I was the best person to write this book with Martina um so I uh, yeah so I just think all of that um 
you know, really did it for me. Fiction, I've never, ever, ever thought about writing fiction before, ever. Like, so... There's always time. There's always time. And just interestingly, given radio is your medium, had you thought about doing a documentary with Martina as opposed to a book? Yes, I had. And actually, originally before COVID, my plan, like the very first instance after I met her in Sheffield, I had a conversation with somebody where I did say that I would record all of my interviews with her for the book and we would see could we possibly make a documentary out of it down the line but then when COVID happened and everything had to happen over Zoom and we weren't as accustomed as we are now to doing things like this it just felt that if it wasn't going to be in quality it probably wasn't going to work so I just canned that idea and in many ways you know I know for sure that Jack, Sean and Emma wouldn't have been interested in speaking to me if they felt that you know everything that they were going to say was going to be recorded I feel it might have hampered Martina in how honest she was so I don't actually know if they could have gone hand in hand. Um, so, yeah, like that's kind of why I never pursued that between COVID. And just I don't think it would have been a good idea. But definitely it had occurred to me that there is a brilliant documentary in their story. But I just suppose I wanted a physical book like radio is so you know an interview happens and then it's gone and I know you can find it online if you want and that is in one way the beauty of radio because everything's so immediate and you can just do things in the blink of an eye and it's on air and it's very intimate that way but what I loved about the book was that having like a physical book that would be there in years to come that Martina could have that the kids could have that their kids could have like so I would love you know, when Jack, Sean and Emma, if they have children down the line, that there is a book that tells a story of what happened to their family over a two year period instead of having to kind of search for it online or whatever. I just I, that really appealed to me. Absolutely. And that you're part of that story. But as you said, mm. to be able to pick up that book yourself and show that, you know, this is the work that I did and it's there in your hands physically, you know. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Susan Kyo, thank you for joining us on Inside Books. You'll find Hope in Your Heart online or at your local bookshop now. The next episode of Inside Books will be out soon. Just keep an eye on our Twitter feed for details. The handle is at Inside Books IRE. And if you want to hear other episodes, just search for us on the various audio platforms. And don't forget to leave us a rating or review. I'm Brida Brown. Until next time, keep reading. Inside Books is a unique media production 